0: Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number two of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast. and thanks for tuning in to episode number two of the mandolins and beer podcast that little mandolin intro by the way was it's been real by john reichman and i learned it off peghead nation and that is perfect because peghead nation is sponsoring this week's podcast and i do want to say i've been a member of peghead nation for a little bit over a year now and i've used it a ton there's great instructors and i just wanted to say that before i read the ad copy because i love the website so this week, mandolins a beer is sponsored by Peghead Nation. And with Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including Beginning Mandolin and Intermediate Bluegrass Mandolin with Sharon Gilchrist, Bluegrass Mandolin Jam Favorites and the Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh. And actually, I just interviewed Joe Friday for an upcoming episode. Monroe Style Mandolin with Mike Compton, who's also going to be on the podcast. Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman. Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein. Irish Mandolin with Marla Fibish. And Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. The courses include high-quality, multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, Play along tracks and plenty of tunes and songs to play. This is the best part. If you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now, you get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. That's MandolinBeer, Beer, one word, M-A-N-D-O-L-I-N-B-E-E-R at the checkout. You can also check out this week's guest, Tristan Scroggins, and his duo Scroggins and Rose doing some exclusive videos on Peghead Nation as well. And Tristan, great guy, great guest. But first, I just wanted to have a second to uh, express a sincere, sincere thank you to all the people who listened and subscribed to the first podcast episode. It has been an overwhelming amount of people and positive feedback, and I've gotten emails, and I can't thank you enough um i thank you guys for all the suggestions of people you want to hear keep sending suggestions of beers if you go to mandolins there's a contact form recommend me some beers some guests um also the merch page is finally working some people have ordered some merch but it was down the first two days on some of the pages so that is updated so if you want to support this podcast order a shirt a koozie or a sticker from mandolinsandbeer.com. You can also follow that and get my show dates if you happen to find yourself in Charleston, South Carolina. I play a bunch, and all my dates are on that website. And finally, one last way you can support this podcast will be through Patreon, and my Patreon page should be live on Friday. And what that is is there are some different donation levels you can donate to help support the podcast. Uh, It's a monthly donation fee, and there'll be a few different levels. One level will just be a basic donation fee, And the other level will be video lessons and tab lessons. Um, One of the ones that's going up there is a warm-up that I use all the time. It's Basically, it's the major scale in two octaves, going up the neck one way, coming back another way in all 12 keys. And I've got that tabbed out and a video of that. But I think the the best part I think I'm going to be doing on this is when I ask the people during the interviews, what would they work on for 10 minutes, if they had 10 minutes to work on. Last week, David mentioned, for instance, Forked Deer playing over the chord changes, just playing the scale notes. Over the chords, so I went through and kind of came up an exercise that would take you through Fork Deer in the key of D, where you'd be playing the D major scale over the D chords, the G major scale over the G chords, and the A major scale over the A chords. Um, and that just a real good exercise to work on if you got a few minutes. And Tristan had a great one that you're going to hear about on this episode, where you take a fiddle tune that you know and then you play it up half a step. So I took Salt Creek, normally played in the key of A. I play it in the key of A and tabbed it out in the key of A, but I also tabbed it out and played it in the key of B flat, which makes it a little bit more challenging as you have to use your pinky finger. And it's a great exercise to really, again, get to know the neck. So pick up that mandolin for 10 minutes a day. You don't have to go to the Patreon if you don't want to, just do it. Just play a little bit every day. It'll make you feel better. That's what I'm saying. Speaking of Tristan Scroggins, great conversation with Tristan this week. What an awesome guy. He's an incredible player. If you don't follow his Instagram page, you need to do it now. Um, I'll have a link on on the website and also where you would listen to this podcast to go to it. It's it's inspiring the amount of, of talent this guy has and how much great quality stuff he puts on Instagram. He's also got a new CD that he put out called Fancy Boy. It's available on Bandcamp. There'll be a link for that. He also put a book out for that as well, which you can get at Bandcamp. And finally, don't forget to follow the Spotify playlist for the Mandolins of Beer podcast. Um, all the songs that you hear being sampled on the podcast, the full versions, are on the Spotify playlist. So you can click that link and go to that. Um, and I'll be adding to that every week. And actually, Tristan sent me some extra songs that he recommended to uh, that have inspired him that I'm going to add to that as well. So go check that out. And finally, be sure to stick around for the very end of this podcast where Tristan kind of gives us a little bit of a mandolins and beer exclusive that uh, includes David Benedict. Stick around, and thanks again. Here's Tristan Scroggins. So I'd like to welcome to the podcast, podcast number two, Tristan Scroggins. Tristan, how you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty great, Dan. I'm well... Pretty sleepy, actually,
0: but yeah, I, your coffee's healthy. I hear you, Tristan's. Uh, he's been. This is actually, this is pretty fun. This is you are uh, the second podcast. You're the second IBM A Momentum winner. I did the first one with David Benedict, oh. and we did that one at nine in the morning on uh, the other day. And um, yeah, <laughs> for musicians to uh, to be to be up this early and functioning, I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, Ian, it's my pleasure. You know, I like talking about the mandolin and like
0: that yeah me too and you are definitely um your instagram is oh, is amazing and inspiring you know the amount of incredible content that you post um often thank you it's it's inspiring and again talked a little bit offline about this before we started but i really but the big basis of this podcast is inspiration and getting people to you know to 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 play more, even if it's just a few minutes a day, to pick up the mandolin, and I think you're a real good, a real good person to to check out online on the social media and uh, and and recording wise to uh, to be inspired by. So, so if somebody doesn't know Tristan Scroggins, how about give me just a little bit of a background about you?
1: Well, um, I think the most notable things that I did were I, I started. Uh, Jeff Scroggins in Colorado with my dad, Jeff Scroggins, about 10 years ago. Well, we played a lot in those 10 years. I, I resigned this last August, but, um, but actually, while... Well, this weekend that we're doing this call with is our with the band's ten year anniversary.
0: Oh nice. And while Congrats. we played
1: uh yeah, it was it was a good run for me and, and they're still going. But, you know, we did a lot of we toured all over, we played all over Europe and Canada and America and um we spent for the last like three or four years, we spent about three hundred days a year on the road. Um pretty intense. Yeah. We got nominated for some stuff. We were nominated for back when it was still called emerging artists of the year at IBMA. And, uh, and, uh I won that momentum award in that time. And, uh, I've won like some other stuff, kind of small time stuff like the Arizona state mandolin and guitar championships, Mexico wow. mandolin championships. Nice. Um, and, um, yeah, i just kind of been doing this forever. I started touring when I was 12, um, and just kind of haven't really done anything non-mandolin related since.
0: <laughs> what, what age did you start playing mandolin at? I was nine when I started the mandolin. No kidding. What, drew, what, what, what was it about the mandolin that drew you to it?
1: Well, it was easier than the banjo. <laughs> it was kind of the... <laughs>
0: that's awesome
1: i my you know i started on the banjo when i was eight i my parents didn't really push at all for any of our any of their kids to play music in Mm -hmm. fact my mother kind of pushed away from it she really wanted us to play sports just because she really wanted to cheer high school football games (laughs) (laughs) but uh, i i i wanted to you know be like my dad i guess so i started trying to play the banjo, but I didn't really, didn't really make any sense at the time. So my dad had his grandfather's mandolin. Exciting. (laughs) My dad had his grandfather's mandolin, um, lying around and I picked it up and it made a lot more sense right away. So I kind of switched to that. And then, uh, Line some tunes, and then pretty soon after that, I heard the Newgrass Revival for the first time and got really into Sandbush.
0: Oh man, that's what and did it for me. Kind of that's, from there. that's what did it for me as well. As a matter of fact, Can't Stop Now was the song. I was calling the music mm-hmm. store to see if they were selling, if they carried any mandolins that they, they lived, you know. I grew up in Michigan, and they you know, uh-huh. the small town, didn't really, they didn't really have any mandolins, and I remember calling to see if they had a mandolin in the Hold Music was can't stop now mm. and i'm like oh man if there if, if this isn't a sign to buy a mandolin
1: <laughs> oh yeah well I, I my dad for a while there my dad kind of stopped playing the banjo for a different periods of time to raise family. And, uh, and there was one period kind of in between where he was hired by this mandolin player's dad to like back his son up in contests on the banjo, which was kind of strange, but mm-hmm. it worked for my dad because he'd go to these contests and back, um, his name's Clayton up and uh, my dad would also enter the contest and usually win and win a banjo and sell it. And we'd make some money that way. And I'd get to go with him some of the time. And um, on a drive to Houston from Albuquerque, um, my dad had just gotten some CDs from a friend. And one of them was Newgrass Revival. CD. And he was listening to it. And I kind of got really into it. And I made him play it the whole way to Houston. and <laughs> And the most of the way back, and by the time we got to Dallas, he was pretty tired of it, so he made us go to a Best Buy and buy another CD, and they had um, Sam Bush's and 7 CD there. And so we got that and listened to that the rest of the way home. And that kind of got me started on, on Sam Bush and getting interested in uh, bluegrass. I'll be a pretty progressive at that point. But as time went on, I got a much more eclectic, and now I'm in a pretty traditional place um having studied a lot of monroe style and a lot of jesse McReynolds stuff and to kind of come full circle there yeah that's no, a... maybe not full circle i guess maybe once if i start a well i guess i don't know i do play in that duet it's pretty progressive but
0: yeah the scroggins scroggins and rose correct mm-hmm. yeah and we'll talk about that in a little bit so it's with with eclectic influences. Besides, like obviously, you have the um, the Monroe Mondays, which are out there online. Mm-hmm. And that, is that part of Peghead Nation? Is that uh, is that? Where yeah, people can find those? just a
1: little. Uh, that's just a little column I wrote for Peghead Nation. If you go to their,
0: awesome. their uh,
1: website and search for that, they all come up.
0: Cool. I'll put. I'll be sure to put a link for. Uh, on all the social media and stuff for all your things as well. So people can find all that really easily because it's all everything you've got out there is so good that they should definitely immerse themselves in it. Um, So uh, other if you were to take away the Monroe and the Sam Bush, there anything that would surprise anybody that you were inspired by that you uh, that you listened to that, that you were like, Oh, I can, I can make this work on mandolin.
1: Uh, well, I mostly listen to banjo players, really. Oh, I, mean, okay. I I've studied a lot of mandolin players, but I always really liked the banjo. And so I, there was a solid five years where I listened to Bela like, Fleck every single day, probably an hour. I mean, in high school, I would just sneak headphones behind my... I had long hair, and I would just hide it underneath my hair, and I'd just be <laughs> listening to the tones all day. Yeah. Uh, Bela's composing and his ideas and and a lot of other banjo players. I mean, my dad got really into Don Reno, and so I kind of looked at some of that stuff. And I learned a lot of banjo tunes, you know, to have stuff to play with my dad. Um, I I really probably spent a lot more time listening to folks like Tony Trishka and um, Alan Mundy. Oh, man, Alan Mundy. Great banjo players more than I ever really listened to um, to a lot of mandolin players. Of course, I did listen to plenty of mandolin players. Sure, sure. Yeah.
0: but I think it's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people would be surprised when, and again, like with talking with um, with lots of mandolin players, is the that the fact that there's a lot of other things. I mean, people listen to Coltrane and 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 um, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said, banjo and just different things like that. You can really pick up, and I think that's what adds to unique styles and how people kind of become themselves as opposed to clones to people is just by taking these influences from other types of music. And, you know, and if you listen to it enough, it eventually falls into your playing, I think. And, um, and I, I I guess when just thinking about some of your playing, especially on that Scroggins and Rose too, I, I guess that makes sense on some of the, uh, like you're you're listening to banjo, um, Eagles Nest, which I really want to talk to you a little bit about the composition of in a little bit here. I think when Mm -hmm. you first hear that, you're like, wow, that's a, that's definitely not what I would consider, you know. And I mean this in a in a, in a great way, like because it caught my ear immediately, you know. But it's definitely not what I would consider. Like, wow, that's uh, I would not have expected um, a mandolin CD to start like that. Which is to me is like I'm gonna love this, <laughs> you know. I mean, I love all of, I love all all styles of mandolin, but I really do, you know. Again, when you've listened to so much traditional stuff, like you, you hear something that starts out traditionally, and you're kind of like, okay, yeah, this is kind of what I expected. And when you hear something, you know that, that catches your ear right away like that. To me, that's, for me, that's what draws me to, to, to really stop whatever I'm doing, you know, or make a note, like if I'm driving and it comes up to save it so I can go home and really listen to it, you know, and, and pay attention yeah. to it. So, um, so when you started out, you started at such a young age, is there like a piece of advice playing wise that somebody gave you that you were like, that you still use to this day? Like this piece of advice has gotten me, um, you know, it always helps out, you know, be it picking, you know, strumming, fingerings, or it could be anything. Uh,
1: you know, I think uh, I, I got a lot of advice that I didn't really make sense until later, but the thing that really helped me out in the beginning was um, there was a mandolin player named Dave Peters, who was a really excellent yeah. mandolin player from Texas. He died in 1999. Um, and I, my dad knew him and, um, some friends of my dad who were always very supportive of me who knew him. And, uh, one of them told me that, uh, he always said that you should always try in a song no matter what. And, uh, you know, starting out trying to learn to improvise. I remember very specifically the first time I tried to improvise on a song I didn't know. Um, it was very nerve wracking and I'm sure it didn't make any sense, but Um, I just kind of, you know, I would go to jams every week and I would pretty much always try to play the song, even if I didn't know it. Um, I, I think there is a lot of like, there's some more subtlety to it of like being able to read the situation. But in general, that was, you know, if I was in a jam and somebody offered me a solo, I wasn't going to you know, I was going to try it even if I didn't know it Sure. because eventually I just got, you know, you learn, you don't really learn anything from doing something right. You, you know, you only learn when you mess up. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, I always thought that, um, two of my favorite things with like, uh, with Bill Monroe, I always, I think I posted this one time on the mandolin cafe years and years and years ago. And, um, if the thread went like crazy with, you know, people Photoshop and stuff. But I'm like, i always found like Hendrix and Bill Monroe reminded me um, that they were more <laughs> similar than different only because if you listen to live recordings, they both go a hundred percent every time, good or bad, They, uh-huh. but, you know, and there might be nine recordings of a bad solo somewhere in a song. And then you get to that 10th one and you're like, this is why these people are so renowned because they just, they, go for it every time and when they hit what they're going for it's that magic of like wow that was awesome yeah
1: well and i think this is this is a potentially unpopular opinion (laughs) but i think that i i don't love a lot of people's monroe style mandolin playing like Mm -hmm. quote-unquote monroe style mandolin playing just because i feel like a lot of people think of monroe playing as kind of inherently sloppy which when you compare it to you know, everything that was built off of it up now. And we have like Chris Beely and all these, Adam Steffi, all these very clinging players. It sounds sloppy in comparison, but it isn't really very sloppy. And when people try to imitate that, they kind of are limiting themselves, it feels like, to where they're playing. They're not really giving 100% because technique-wise, they can go further than that. And it never really sounds like Monroe, because Monroe was always giving 100%, like you said. And it, and that's, what's exciting about it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And that's, it is true. There are so many, um, and there are some really good Monroe style players out there um, that, that I really mm-hmm. like, but they're definitely, um, you can always tell, like, I I, I, th- I forget where I was, but I remember somebody, you know, after a bluegrass jam or whatever, and you're sitting around and people are talking and I think I, if somebody was just saying like, I don't know that you could tell I could play you 10 players Without knowing which one Monroe was, you wouldn't be able to pick him out. I'm like, no way, man! You'd be able to pick him out easily. Uh, just the power yeah. and the, like again, like people um, assume it's sloppy, but sit down and try to learn them, a Monroe solo, um, you know, note for yeah. note, and play along, well, and then play along with it, and then and then you yeah. can get back to me on how sloppy it is because <laughs> it's it's well, and the phrasing, it's it for me, it's all the phrasing. It's his
1: it the way that he where he chose to put the notes, even if he wasn't playing, even later when he was implying more notes than he was playing, like where he chose to put them was so great. Yeah. And what notes he chose were so great. And yeah, it's, you know.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the world of people, especially with like some of the, like you said, like some of the hot players, because it's interesting, I think, really interesting now to listen to players who've come up like learning from Thiele. You know, like if that was their basis, mm-hmm. it's kind of scary to think how great some of these kids are going to be, you know, that are like, yeah. that are like nine years old and they're starting with the Punch Brothers. You know, that's their base. Like, oh, my gosh. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I forgot where I was going with that. But I think, you know, just the, the um, you know, Bill Monroe just built this amazing thing. And and uh, I, I, I people should always go back if they're they think it's sloppy. I really always encourage them to go back and just listen again and uh and and you know just be open-minded about it and not worry about fancy techniques and super clean arpeggios or you know blaze i mean and again yeah. blazing speed listen to the monroe brothers holy cow i mean those guys yeah. you know those those monroe brother um albums uh, he was burning away <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and it's just undeniable how much it's all built on each other. With banjo is another good example of, you know, when people, I mean, I love Bela, as I said before, but when people start by trying to learn Bela stuff, there's always, it's always lacking something because Bela has always maintained that Earl was the best banjo player ever. Mm -hmm. And he—if all of what Bela does is built foundationally on what Earl does, you know all of those people built foundationally on what Earl did. And with Monroe, you know, there is a pretty traceable line from Chris Thiele to Monroe. But, um, and there's also a lot of other great mandolin players from that era that have a very, like, I don't know, there's a lot of great black ragtime mandolin players Mm -hmm. and a lot of great, jazz and classical mandolin players from, you know, the early 20th century era. And um, all of those are a big part of what made a lot of that bluegrass sound originally. And and I think understand, you know, you don't have to do a deep dive on everything, but I think understanding the foundation really makes anything progressive that you're going to do, make more sense because otherwise you, you just not to sound cliche about it, I guess, but if you don't have a solid foundation, it just isn't really, it's not a very stable sort of thing. And for me, a lot of, I can usually tell when people are making progressive music without a lot of that foundation, because it just doesn't really do that much, that much for me. Um, it's, you, you know like that David Grisman quintet stuff is so great that David Grisman was inspired by Monroe and oh, learned from Ralph Rensler and you know built from that
0: um yeah or even Sam you know even Sam Bush you know again, like that new grass revival, but his Bill Monroe influence is is you know mm-hmm. well known you know, so when did you decide I mean you started young you're during what what when did you just decide that this is it, this is what I want to do, and how did you take those next steps?
1: You know, I was really lucky. Um, I, I started playing when I was nine, and I, that was kind of early enough that by the time I got to the place where I was thinking about what I wanted to do, or sort of starting to have those ideas when I was like 13 or whatever, I was already doing this kind of a lot. And so it just kind of seemed normal. I was already pretty obsessed with it. So the idea of not doing it didn't really make any sense. Um, I, I found out, I think I was 13 when I first heard of Berkeley and I, um I found out that Dave Peters went to Berkeley and I was really into Dave at the time. And so I, I, that was the first time I ever heard you could go to school and study mandolin. So I decided that was what I was going to do. Uh, and then as I got a little older, I, um, I did, I got turned off of going to Berkeley just cause it, it didn't really, well, I guess re- realistically, I just felt very anxious about it. I was probably feeling very insecure about my own playing and watching sure. videos of people at Berkeley made me feel uncomfortable. And so I kind of pivoted and, um, I think I pivoted towards Belmont. I don't remember exactly why. I, I, I remember in an English class writing my college essay for Belmont, although I don't think I ever sent it. <laughs> I almost went to full sale for, for profit school in Orlando mm-hmm. um, until they asked for money, and I didn't. <laughs> yeah. um, but by the time I graduated high school, I was already playing full time with my dad, and so we just kind of decided to pick up the pace. Um, I guess there was a a minute where I thought about doing other things, but, and I've kind of gone back and forth on it. But again, I I was really, I was in a position that a lot of other people don't really find themselves in where, you know, I was in a pretty, um, successful and pretty, a band that was working a lot by the time I was, you know, 14, 15, 16. And it was a very safe sort of thing, because it was my dad running it. Um, and so it just kind of, it was a pretty easy decision to make. It wouldn't be the same for everybody, where you know, you'd have to go out and find a band. And so I always feel a little awkward giving people advice about starting out, just because I really kind of had this unique situation that was very fortunate.
0: Yeah, but again, at the same time, one of the things I think that's really great, and that I I, I think uh, is a really good point with this mandolin, is you who are an incredible, you're an incredible mandolin player, were also intimidated by like watching people from Berkeley, or you know, again, like uh, going to Belmont, and and I think that's a common thread with with people who play is that insecurity thing, and I think that's what drives a lot of people. But at the same time, for people listening. You know, a guy like Tristan was watching these videos and being intimidated, but at the same time, you're so good, you know, you just, you kept going. And that's, that's an important thing that, um, again, I think it's a thread that runs through really good musicians is everybody's, you know, what I want to try to get to people that are maybe just starting or feel nervous to go to a jam or feel nervous to talk to or play in front of people that it's such a, it's a pretty open community for the most part of people who want to help people and learning and everybody starts somewhere. So I think that's a, it's it's great to hear you say that. And, um, and, and, and again, that somebody like you, who's obviously, you know, very accomplished was also nervous at times, watching videos of some of these other players. So.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I, I went to a a slow pitch, uh, I I don't know if it was billed as a slow pitch jam, but, went to a jam every week dad and i would drive for an hour to santa fe and go to this jam every saturday it was run by sharon Gilcrest while she was still in new mexico um and there was probably you know at the peak of summer there'd be probably 50 people there wow. 30 of them in the jam and so it would take forever but it was a great place to work on my rhythm playing yeah. but also you know you just kind of sit there and angeline the Baker's going around pretty slow and you just wait for your turn to play angeline the baker and it was a really low pressure environment even though it didn't always feel low pressure at the time but it yeah, was sure. you know you know i took lessons from sharon and i took lessons from this guy bob who went to that jam and and people there were always really encouraging to me and really encouraging to each other and it was it was a good place to learn stuff and everybody was really nice and cool about it and it you know that's that was a huge part of my the foundation of my learning to play was going to that jam
0: That's awesome. Yeah, the jams are so fun. You know, and again for the most part almost, almost every jam I've been to, obviously you're going to run into like, there's always like a, sometimes a little small group of people who are a little, little weird, but, um, I mean, they're so encouraging. I would recommend yeah. anybody just find a jam. Like you said, you drove an hour, <laughs> you know, you and your dad drove an hour to go to it. You know, they're out there. Yeah. And, you know, especially with the internet now, you can find them. So encouraging. Yeah. Right? So when did you first go in the studio and, um, and record the first Jeff Scroggins in Colorado album?
1: Uh, the first one was probably to do some math. When was that? 2000. And it was like the first year we started playing, I think. So it might have been like 2009. Wow. Um, it, I was. I think I was like 14. Um, and that was fun. I'd already done some recording on some other random stuff. I was in a band and. New Mexico called the Squash Blossom Boys that made a record. Oh, nice! But, um, cool name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was 2009, and that was you know, that was fun. It was a very, it was a very, it was it was the Squash Blossom Boys thing we did live over the course of about four hours. And this one we actually went to a studio and took a few days to do it. Um, so that was fun to kind of get to do.
0: Yeah. Did you do it live also with Jeff Scroggins or did you guys kind of get basics and then, and then do separate tracks or?
1: I think for that one, it was, we would do as much of it live as we could and then fix stuff. I, yeah. And I think for, for me being so young, I might've had to, you know, taking a couple of tries at some things As, as as we got further along like our most recent record that we did, we released this year in January. Yeah, that one was pretty much, well, it was pretty much all live. Um, I mean, we were all in isolation and probably like the harmonies and vocals were done separately. But for the most part, that was as live as we could make it.
0: What's um, advice wise for somebody going, maybe going into the studio for the first time? What's uh, something you you would say to them to help ease their mind or maybe give them some good advice to, to get them to be as successful as possible. Because recording is expensive, you know, so a lot of times you have that hanging over your head as you go into the studio right away. That's the first thing before even worrying about performance, it seems like, as you're like, oh boy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, it certainly is pricey. I I mean, I I think for me, I've had to learn, I've had to learn, oh, look, there's another great mandolin player here. It's Casey Campbell. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Of uh, I've had to learn with making those videos to be a lot more forgiving of mistakes and not worry about making it perfect. Um, if I worry about that then I'm just going to be there forever and it's never going to be perfect so
2: right right I'm giving
1: myself a little room to uh, make mistakes and also being able to recognize that it's a kind of stressful emotionally stressful um, situation. To give yourself, to allow yourself to need a break and to take a break when you need it, um, I think is a big deal. Because otherwise you're just going to hit a wall and not really accomplish anything.
0: Yeah, that's the worst. The, uh, the just yeah. all right, take 42. <laughs> like, uh, can we just <laughs> stop? Can we just stop for a minute? <laughs> that's, oh, that's great. So if, um, how many albums did you do with, with Jeff Scroggins in Colorado?
1: We did four. Wait, is it four? One, two, three, yeah, four. I did four with
0: them. And do you have a moment on there that you're like, "All right, this is the one you know, out of those four. Like, wow, I really, I really accomplished what I was going for. Maybe even surprised yourself."
1: Uh, I I like the last one a lot. I think that one, I really. I guess maybe in the studio, it felt more like I was um, accomplishing what I am. Um, I felt very confident about what I was doing and for the first time, and I, I really liked how it turned out. Although there's moments on Ramblin' Feels Good, which is the third one that I would go back, and I'm pretty impressed that I pulled it off at the time. Nice. There's a lot of early cross-picking stuff on there that I kind of just... Figured out in the studio, which I'm pretty proud of, I guess.
0: Yeah, I noticed that. I, I, you know, I guess I was under the assumption before I did some research before this podcast was, was that you had just picked up the the cross picking recently. But then when I went back and listened to some of your stuff, I'm like, ah, he's doing some cross picking here. <laughs> you know, so. Um, it, yeah, I think it was all just
1: the banjo influence.
0: Sure. Yeah. Early on. Yeah, and so then you've also done the 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 Scroggins and Rose. Has a has an album that came out in is it 2016?
2: That sounds about right. I didn't
0: write the date down, but I, I think it was 2016, and that was where I first really again I you know seen you on Mandolin Mondays, and then um, I, I'm sure it was probably on Mandolin Cafe that I saw like the press release and in the in the, uh, the album cover, which again was cool right away. And then <laughs> um there's a the little intro, and then there's Eagles Nest. nest
1: yeah i mean listen i we a lot of them will have written it and then bring it to the other person and kind of arrange it together for a duet but that one was mostly composed by me
0: how do you go about uh, writing um like for eagles nest i think would be a good example to talk about because it's very unique um um if you remember anyway because it's been been a few years but uh, like how did you come up with it and 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 uh, how do you yeah. sort of go about writing
1: you know I, that one. I was sitting. I was living in Lyons, Colorado at the time, in this really beautiful house, and I was watching some birds fly around, and uh, <laughs> and I uh, <laughs> I, um, I I with the tunes, I've always kind of written tunes, and I it's funny with songs, I never really got to this point, but I kind of just got to a point where I recorded every idea I had. Mm-hmm um uh, for a tune and then some of them would be bad and I wouldn't work on them but some of them were good and I'd come back to you but that one I was just kind of messing around and I kind of came up with these parts I think even the, the third part there was one that I'd written earlier and I just figured out that it would work on that part um and that little cross picking intro thing is just kind of a pretty cross picking thing and I always kind of worked out those things I think that was a lot of my dad's influence. Him playing a lot of, you know, pretty traditional sort of roles on the banjo, but then also having a lot of suspension because he learned, you know, he really idolized Tony Trishka and he learned a lot from Alan Mundy. And so he kind of had this like traditional and progressive approach. Um, And then when we arranged it for duet, we just kind of, uh, we've gotten a little better at it. Uh, That one, it just kind of trades back and forth a bunch but uh, you know, we just kind of figured out, I think we were building those mostly based on um, the shape of the tune, like how that one kind of goes back and forth between building a lot of energy and then dropping back down to that pretty part.
0: Yeah, um, you know. Yeah, that, that pretty, pretty" is a, a perfect word for it. That, that song has almost got a almost like a movie soundtrack quality. You know, it's just like you could hear that yeah. like some scene opening up in a big, you know, like it's interesting that you wrote it in Colorado because so many beautiful views. And yeah, that's uh, mm-hmm. you can feel that vibe of it. And then um, I want to also talk about Fancy Boy before we talk about more Scroggins and Rose. But um, so you put Fancy Boy out this mm-hmm. year. kind of where you start so this the cross picking that you really you really I believe you were and again I could be wrong but it seemed like you were on tour maybe in Europe and you started posting some Instagram videos or a lot of Instagram videos of the mm-hmm. cross picking and and different ideas like that mm-hmm. and so what led you to just to just decide like I'm gonna dive into this
1: I'd been learning some McReynolds stuff before that trip like just learning you know i kind of i think i'd just been listening to you know something on shuffle and i think i think i heard you know i think of what it was was y'all come yeah, the jim and jesse yeah, recording of that you all
0: come to see us
1: Justin's mandolin solo is just so great, so I kind of figured that out, and then I was kind of looking at some other stuff, and then I was on this bluegrass jamboree tour, which maybe boring is uh, insulting, but <laughs> the, it, it, there was just a lot of downtime. You know, we played 27 shows in 27 days, wow. or something like that. Yeah, and we were all on a bus, and there was a lot of time in between things, and uh, and <laughs> And I just, um, I just had a lot of time to practice, and I kind of just started to figure out those things. I'd always, I started by learning that little um, ending, like um, a tag ending to like uh, Arkansas Traveler sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Tried to figure out how to do that without playing the same string twice in a row. Wow. Um, and then I just kind of started trying to figure out melodies that way, and it, it kind of evolved out of that. Then when I got back, I recorded a little EP of it, and with um, a book. I'm working on another little book thing. But oh, nice! I'm not sure how long that'll take.
0: It's awesome. Yeah, the uh, the um Jesse book is real hard to find. That one's out there for. That's a. It's one of those holy grail things that people talk about online all the time when they talk about cross picking. Is the. Uh, is that book? I would like whenever I'm at a used bookstore and going through music books, I'm like, "Oh my god, how rad would it be to come across that book?" <laughs> so it's awesome. Yeah. That there's a, a well, new maybe one.
1: somebody will re-release it eventually.
0: Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. But they, in, in the meantime, though, they can go to the Bandcamp. Right, is the Bandcamp page is where you can purchase. Yeah. The book that you put out for for Fancy Boy.
1: Yeah, yeah, what? and that style is a little more unique. It's a little more. It's not. It's pretty. It's kind of essentially backwards of what Jesse does, but, um, but but I I met him finally recently, and he said it was fine.
0: So <laughs> that's <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it's also though. It's great. I mean, it gets you again backwards, forwards. I mean, the the I think the goal is beautiful music, and you've 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 hit the button on that one. And and, and uh, so how do you approach? So uh, I think the for me anyway, what the one I thought was most interesting was was Big Mom. and it's such a, uh, you know, such a, to me anyway, such a familiar Monroe tune, and then to hear a a cool cross-picking version of it. How do you you approach that one? Like, it's sitting down and like, okay, here's how it it goes, and here's how I'm going to approach it and make it a cross-picking.
1: I think with that one, because the melody, like the simple melody is pretty straightforward. I think I figured out how to do it that way with uh, not playing the same string twice, um, but that's pretty hard and sounds kind of weird, so I also wanted to throw in some rolls. So in the in the measures that have kind of longer phrases, is when I just put in that roll that I do a lot, which is down, down, up, um, like on D string, E string, A string, down, down, up, um, with the melody kind of running through the D string. Um, and hammer-ons and other trills and stuff kind of help give it more of a banjo sound. Um, but yeah, like the first measure of both the A and the B part have that role in it. And that kind of get, you know, immediately gives it a different sound than just playing straight eighth notes.
0: Yeah. And it, it, when I first saw it on the, um, when it, when it came out and I first saw it on there, I'm like, I don't think this is going to work before I even heard it. Yeah. You know, I was just like, Oh, weird cross pick a big And then it, it comes on. I'm like, gosh, that's awesome. I mean, it's identifiable immediately and completely unique sounding it. And you know, great stuff, man. It's the, what you're doing with that is, yeah. is, it's incredible. And then also speaking. Thanks of, man. I appreciate uh, it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's obvious you put the, so much time into it, which leads me to, so your newest Instagram videos, a lot of stuff you've been transcribing, well, I, say, I shouldn't say transcribing. I'm not sure how you're going about it, but you're you're taking these not easy solos that you're that you're learning off albums. And I'd love to kind of pick your brain a little bit about how you would go out and and how much time, like on average, does it take? So, if you were to let's say you were getting ready to approach something new today, like okay, I'm going to work on something new and I'm going to post the Instagram video about it. So, how do you go about learning something? Um, and again, these are pretty complex things. And and you make it look effortless when you play it, but it's obvious there's a ton of effort put into it before you learn it. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how you would how you would go about that.
1: Yeah, well, they've been taking usually probably about three hours for me to work up. And what I'll do is I'll use the amazing slow downer. Mm-hmm. Um, to slow things down and i'll, I'll try to find a source recording as well as best as i can or at least somebody that i trust to be playing the melody pretty close to a source and for that i'll either go to the tune archive which is TuneArc.org, or um or slippery hill um which are both websites that kind of at least slippery hill is more old time but for both of those trying trying to just go to find some source recordings and a little bit of history about the tune. If they're bluegrass tunes, they usually kind of know some of the history already for a lot of them with their Monroe tunes you know, or like, you know, who was playing fiddle with Monroe at the time and listening to their version. Um, but then using the amazing slowdown and just slow them down. And I do usually transcribe them using Um But just kind of, you know, breaking them apart and learning them phrase by phrase and it goes a lot quicker, you know, doing it every day. It's kind of like a muscle. I get, you know, better at it every day, figuring sure. it out. So it doesn't take as much time each time.
0: And do you go but slow that's usually when you start at them? Like when you go slow, the amazing slowdown, obviously you're using, but do you, uh, do you have like a, a process of like, all right, I'm going to learn this to a certain speed and then move on to another section of it?
1: Yeah. If I'm picking sections, I'll usually try to, or if I'm going through the whole tune, I'll usually do it at a speed. I'll, I'll set, I'll have to be able to do it three times in a row without messing up.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah.
1: Uh, that way I know I didn't, it wasn't just a fluke.
2: <laughs> yeah. <right.
0: laughs> and then I'll speed it up. Learning a new tune. If you get frustrated with something, uh-huh. how do you go about dealing with that frustration of, of like, ah, oh, I'm never going to get this, but you know, breaking through that wall. I
1: think, um, again, like being forgiving sort of of yourself. I think there's a lot of things that I kind of, that just took time and that is frustrating, but, you know, coming back to something a month later, a year later, being able to do it, it it feels a lot better than, you know, slogging through something and trying to get, get through it. But, you know, if it's something you need to get through, then just kind of, um, just taking it slow. I, it's, it's okay to mess things up, obviously, but it, it's you're not really doing yourself any favors by trying to push it beyond what you can actually do. And so be, just being honest with yourself and working at the level that you kind of need to, I think is helpful for that.
0: Awesome. And what's next for you?
1: Well, so I've been um, just kind of freelancing around town here. i do I've been sitting in some with Missy Raines I'm going on a tour with chris jones pretty soon oh nice i play on the opry sometimes with Daley and vincent and um uh, i have a new record coming out with scroggins and rose we just finished that this fall and we're editing it right now and so hopefully it'll be out this year maybe next year
0: awesome i'm looking um, forward to i'm it. really
1: excited about that
0: yeah i bet I bet. And then if you had to pick up your mandolin for 10 minutes today, just 10 minutes, mm-hmm. what would you run through?
1: Mm-hmm. What would I run through?
0: Or what would you, you know, recommend? Well, usually. Or what would you recommend if somebody, oh, well. again, trying to think of people maybe maybe not at your level, but if somebody is just going to be, I think my thing is like, if you pick up the mandolin for 10 minutes a day, the first thing is it's never going to be just 10 minutes. But it, I think even just 10 minutes a day and just working on something focused mm-hmm. Is better than just watching television for three hours and, and, you know, um, (laughs) just blasting through, you know, anything and not really paying any attention at all. I think a focused 10 minutes is a surprising amount of time um, to get something under your fingers and to build muscle memory.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: I think for just 10 minutes, I would either recommend um, taking, I I think in that amount of time, taking something you're really familiar with would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. And either, playing it and trying to play it as pretty as possible where not changing any of the notes, but keeping your fingers down on the fret as long as possible, trying to be more deliberate about how long the notes sustain. Oh, nice. Um, Cause I think that's a big, I think with mandolin, a lot of the kind of, uh, I'm not sure the right adjective to use, but sometimes it just, Notes. people just kind of cut notes off a little too soon. And, um, at least for me, I like to hear them ring a little bit more and, you know, not all the time, but being able to be in control of that. Sure. Could. And so kind of focusing on your left hand and then also you could also just take a tune, you know, and, uh, play it a half step higher. So you have to use your, your, uh, middle ring and pinky fingers to play the notes Your the intervals you're familiar with, but mm-hmm. you're mostly using your first finger, essentially as a capo at the first fret.
2: Right, right. And
1: that, that that's a great exercise to just build um, pinky strength.
0: Nice, that's awesome. Let's go out. I love the uh, I love the sustaining one, especially you can you definitely hear that you practice that with the uh, with the, um, the yeah. cross picking style for sure. mm Hmm. Well, awesome. Well, man, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time today. I really, really do. Uh, it's been great talking with you. You're a, a super inspirational player. You're so good. I'm excited for the uh, for the new album to come out. And I'll post all your social media and, and everything for people to check you out. And thank you so much, Tristan.
1: Yeah, thank you, Dan. I I appreciate you. Oh, you know what? I didn't say that's coming up, That I meant to tease. I'm oh, yeah. such a bad businessman. <laughs>
2: that's all
1: right. Uh, you said David Benedict was on your first episode. I don't know yeah. if you mentioned it. We haven't announced it yet, but we're doing a little, this is a teaser because I'm not going to tell any details about it. Nice. But uh, we're doing a little mandolin compilation project together.
0: Oh, um, oh no kidding. And,
1: and that'll be a lot of fun. But oh, man, uh, that'll be amazing. Not
0: not announced yet. Duh, so. Uh, nice. So a little a little mandolin's a beer podcast hot take. <laughs>
1: Yeah, hot take—a little exclusive.